Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Sports Experience. An absolute bloody pleasure to have your company on this episode uh, with me today. Hope your weekend of sport was good. Hope your week has started well as well. Um, I got plenty of sport in uh, over the weekend. Watch some cricket, watch some NFL. Uh, definitely had my sporting fill. Um, today's episode wanted to talk. I think we're going to focus mainly on cricket for this episode. Um, want to talk about a little bit of South African domestic cricket, four day cricket. Watched match between the Eastern Cape. Inyanti, Inyanti, um, and the Mpumalanga Rhinos. Uh, good game, really good game. Um, well, kind of lopsided, but good from the perspective of you know feeling like you've witnessed something pretty special. One innings in particular um, deserves some some coverage, and so that's what we'll talk about. Jason Neiman uh, is almost twenty three years old. Uh, playing for the Eastern Cape, and uh, yeah, scored an amazing triple hundred uh, for the Eastern Cape Inyanti, and that just I've only watched maybe two other triple hundreds in my life, um, you know, live as they unfolded, and that was a really special thing to witness. So we'll talk about that. And, you know, just some other notes about that game in general. Going to also talk about the um, T20 World Cup final between Australia and New Zealand. Didn't exactly pan out the way I would have liked to see it pan out, but that is how life goes sometimes. And maybe we should start there. Maybe we should start with... um, the Australian New Zealand game, massively hyped. You know the the, the battle of the, the the next door neighbors, the rivals, um, Trans Tasman rivalry or whatever the fuck they call it um, between Australia and New Zealand. And I don't know why I never find this, but the toss Australia won the toss, elected to field. Um, not a terrible choice, interesting choice. There's a lot of teams electing to field and chase at this World Cup. Um, and this game played at Dubai International Cricket Stadium. The Kiwis batting first. And you sort of felt, again, this is a game where you're going to need Guptill to do a lot. You're going to need Kane Williamson to do a lot. Um you know, you're looking to your bigger players to to really come through in a big spot for you. Well, and a note that I thought that I thought the Australians looked nervous to start this game. I thought they looked a little bit anxious when New Zealand perhaps looked like the more relaxed team. Guptill and Daryl Mitchell opened up and they both played some nice shots. Guptill hit three fours in his innings and Daryl Mitchell, a booming six, the hero, of course, of the semi-final, Daryl Mitchell. Uh, they lose their first wicket. Uh, 
which was Daryl Mitchell caught by Wade bold Hazelwood. And that was the left New Zealand one for 28 after 3.5 overs. Uh, Guptill and Williamson then were at the crease together and they put on 48 runs before Guptill went out. Caught by Stoinis Bold Zampa, didn't nail. I think this was one where he, you know, went for a deep shot and just didn't get enough meat of it. So that put New Zealand at two for 76 after 11.1 overs. So you're over halfway through your innings. You got 76 runs. Maybe feeling like you're a little bit behind the the pace at that point. Kane Williamson opened up though. Kane Williamson played. Uh, you know, one of the more beautiful, uh, classy, elegant, breathtaking innings, uh, an innings of class and and touch for Williamson. This wasn't a slogathon. This was Williamson hitting the ball, manipulating the ball to all parts of the ground, flicks off the toes and flicks, uh, slashes, you know, sort of careful slashes behind point and through slip. Just a batting masterclass, uh, and as the commentators said at the time, you know this this sort of the innings that shows that you don't have to be a power hitter to have a successful career um, in T Twenty cricket in limited over limited overs cricket. So Williamson piles up eighty five runs off forty eight deliveries, ten fours and three sixes, but he finally is out, holes out to Steve Smith off the bowling of Josh Hazelwood. Josh Hazelwood, who, you know, you sort of thought might be someone that they could target. I thought they'd go after Cummins a bit more. Um, But Hazelwood, exceptional in the game, took three wickets for 16 runs off his four overs. So uh, just tremendous economy. Had 18 dot balls out of his 24 deliveries that he bowled. So that's, that's pretty remarkable stuff. Um, and you know, I think should have been in a, in with a shout as player of the match. If you take three for sixteen or four overs in a T Twenty World Cup final, uh, crucial wickets, two. Um, you know, so Williamson went out, leaving the Kiwis again. It just felt like they were always going to score a bit more than they ended up. So he departed and the score was three for 144 after 17.2 overs. So he sort of figured, oh, it was about two and a half. Well, no, he didn't, sorry. My bad. My bad. Glenn Phillips was that wicket. Phillips made 18 off 17, and then he went out, um, caught Maxwell, bowled Hazelwood. But it was shortly after that, Williamson departed. He was out. And it was four for 148 off 17.5. And suddenly, you know, it sort of felt at different times like, oh, the, the, you know, New Zealand's only going to get 150 here. Or maybe New Zealand's going to, you know, 190, 200. If Williamson keeps going, they get some hitting from Nisham and Phillips down the order. And then they lose some wickets. And you're like, oh, gosh, don't know what's going to happen here. Maybe they'll get 180. Well, Jimmy Nisham ends up making 13 off seven, couldn't really repeat his big hitting heroics from, you know, the the semi-final. Tim Seifert, uh, eight runs off six balls with a four. And New Zealand get their way to four for 172. So they set Australia 173 to win off 20 overs. 
at different times, I thought this was both a good score and 20 runs short. It was, it was a difficult one to judge. At different times in the innings, I thought New Zealand underachieved, and then at other times, I thought they overachieved. So I found it a tough one to gauge. Mitch Stark took a lot of hitting off his bowling. He went four overs for 60 runs at an economy of 15 runs per over. Mitch Stark, um, Kane Williamson in particular, enjoyed um, dealing some damage off Mitch Stark, as we mentioned before, Josh Hazelwood. Three for 16 or four. I think probably could have had his hand up for the man of the match. Uh, Glenn Maxwell, bowled three overs, 28 runs, no wickets. Pat Cummins, economical for a 2020 game, four overs for 27 runs. Adam Zampa, uh, four overs, 26 runs, one wicket. Good spell of bowling from Adam Zampa, um, who uh, my partner reckons he, he reminds her of one of those kids you know, at school who would maybe he, you know, he, I don't know, he cries over something and then hits another kid um, to distract from the fact that, that he was actually the one who was upset, you know, sort of a, sort of a bit of a fake tough guy, maybe someone who struts around with the, uh, maybe brings in one, you know, he's got a transfer tattoo on his, on his arm or something, you know, he's sort of cut his own hair into a bit of, bit of a mullet, name might be Daniel. Or something like that, you know, Danny, Daniel, Dylan, Dylan. Maybe it was Dylan. She used a, a, a D name anyway. Maybe it was Dylan. Anyway, um, that's kind of what we think about Adam Zampa. Sort of, yeah, bit of a snotty nose kind of, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe, you know, he accidentally, you know, trips over and skins his knees on the basketball courts, has a bit of a tear about it, which is okay. That's acceptable. You know, that's that's not... You know, it's all right for a, for a lad to have a cry. And then, though, then it comes where someone says, you're right, and he goes, yeah, and he hits that kid so that that kid cries and distracts from the fact that he's crying. It's kind of where we got into with, with the way that Adam Zampa looks. Probably a quality person. Probably a quality person. Um, definitely a quality bowler. As I said, took the one pole for 26 runs of his four overs. Mitch Marsh, one over for 11 runs. So... Going into the Aussie innings, wasn't really sure um, what was going to go on and felt like it was a tough one to gauge. The The New Zealanders took an early wicket. They got Aaron Finch, who I'm not a massive fan of. I think he's a brutish slogger who lacks the finesse to really interest me um, as a viewer. Just my personal opinion. Not really sure what the uh, what the appeal factor is about Aaron Finch's batting, but there you go. He's the fucking captain of the side, so I don't know. Anyway, so he went out early, uh, and they were one for fifteen after two point three. And you thought, mm, if if New Zealand if New Zealand could get you know maybe get Warner as well, and it starts to feel a little shaky. Uh, well, that's not what happened. Um, David Warner took them apart. Mitch Marsh took them apart. Marsh, so Warner hit 53 off 38 balls, four fours, three sixes. Mitch Marsh carried his bat to be 77 not out off 50, six fours and four sixes. Glenn Maxwell finished things off 28 runs off 18 balls, four fours and a six. In what, you know, could have been after three overs, a nervous chase turned into a doddle. They, they won in the end with... Seven balls to spare. 
um, raced along, never really looked in danger. It was a strange game. As I said, it opened when, when the Aussies came out to bowl. Australia looked anxious and New Zealand looked quite relaxed. And then things flipped. I don't know if it was a thing, just people were nervous about bowling on this surface or something, but New Zealand started to look quite anxious. New Zealand looked quite flat. It was definitely a, a case of, uh, and I don't know if this is something that often happens with World Cup finals. I'm trying to think back, but, you know, it's such a long tournament. It's such a long month or, you know, month and a half, depending on how long, you know, the teams have been there of getting yourself G'd up for games and you're, you know, far away from home and then you get to finals night and it wasn't a massive crowd at Dubai International Stadium. Um, you know, a lot of empty seats still. And, you know, just the energy started to die as Australia batted and batted and batted and found the rope at will. And it just felt like New Zealand went, Ugh. And all, all the sort of tension. I mean, this is a team that's been up for a long time. It's a team that's, you know, won the World Test Championship, the inaugural Test Championship. All these teams have been through COVID. So, you know, when it starts to go wrong, it just felt like it, it suddenly dropped. It suddenly went, oh, we're gone. Um... And that's, yeah, that's really what it felt like for New Zealand. It was like the air went out of the balloon. You know, when Trent Bolt finally clean bowled David Warner uh, in the 13th over and they had Australia 2 for 107, he was going, come on, you know, and trying to G up his teammates. But it really did feel like the horse had bolted, um, that it was all over. It was all done. Um, and th that was... Uh, how it turned out. Mitch Marsh, 77 not out of 50 balls, and Maxwell, 28 out, 28 of 18. What's interesting uh, is that Mitch Marsh was awarded the Man of the Match uh, award. Unbelievably, David Warner was given the player of the series. Uh, just uh, nauseating, really. Um, you know, Adam Zampa had bowled so well throughout this tournament. I really thought he could have been in, you know, but obviously it's, um, yeah, it, it seems to always lean the way of the batsman. Even even Mitch Marsh winning this award after Josh Hazelwood, sorry, uh, you know, earlier had taken three wickets. I thought Zampa was unlucky not to be given player of the series for how he'd bowled all tournament. And thought Josh Hazelwood was unlucky not to win player of the match. So disappointing on that front. I was disappointed for New Zealand, but you know, taking my own bias about the Australian team out of it, they, they clearly played better on the night. Uh, they didn't allow New Zealand to ever truly get away from them. There's that one partnership between Phillips and Williamson when Williamson just sort of cut sick. Uh, you know, where New Zealand had the running of the game, but Australia worked their way back in, to their credit. Uh, they never looked back. They never let themselves get lost in that moment, and they found a way back in. They found a way once... Once there was blood in the water, as I've always thought about Australian cricket teams, uh, if there's blood in the water, they circle and pounce like great whites. Um, they are a savage 
and uh, brutal mob of players. Uh, uh, <laughs> described, I think, by Peter Roebuck at one point as a pack of rabid dogs. I think it was Roebuck. I can't remember. Um, someone definitely, some erudite scholar, certainly and aptly described them such. And that was the game. Australia getting the job done over New Zealand, 173 runs um, from their 18 and a bit overs. And, you know... I'm not going to pretend like it brought me a lot of joy. I was, um, you know, glad, uh, glad for New Zealand to have made it. I can, from a from a bird's eye view, respect the fact that Australia with a you know with a with a better team on the night, all those sorts of things. But you know these storylines about you know comeback kid David Warner and that I have no. Personally, no interest. Uh, it's all, all this stuff, the comeback here, the comeback stories, you know, that were run by Channel 9 a few years ago, you know, after the, the sandpaper incident, you know, when Steve Smith and Dave Warner made their way back into the Australian test set up and that sort of thing. Oh, the... the, the yeah. To me, th that whole sandpaper incident was actually just an overflowing uh, of an undercurrent, of an underground stream that had been running through Australian cricket for a long time and continu continues to run through. And it always made me laugh when, whenever Graham Smith and Faf Duplessis, the South African captains, would, would bully Australia back. And no one sooked harder than an Australian cricket team when someone stood up to them back. Oh, it's not fair. They're sledging unfairly. They're doing this. They're doing that. You know, then it all became, you know, about, oh, it's not really on, you know, it's not cricket, is it? You know, and when Australia do it, it's like, oh, we know where the line is. We know where the line, we just play to the line. Soon as anyone else does it to them, big sook time. So, I mean, this, I guess, is just getting to psychological analysis of why I, I have a lot of distaste for the Australian cricket team. But the sandpaper incident and then all the... These, you know, these narratives about, you know, the clawing back of the career for Steve Smith and David Warner. Give me a break. No one put a gun to your head and said, cheat. You know, people didn't shove the sandpaper into your pockets and say, if you don't sandpaper the ball and fix this match. You know, like, come on. They're adults. They made decisions, and, and, and for me to have to lap up all these sympathy stories, these sort of pity parties that national Australian media wanted to throw for them, and continues to want to throw for them, I mean, that's where all this David Warner stuff comes from. Oh, he's really struggled. He might be on his last legs. Bullshit. He's pretty much got a lifetime. He, he can pick and choose when he wants to retire. If Aaron Finch can still get a bat, of course, Dave Warner's going to be able to get a bat. And as I said, objectively, fantastic players, brilliantly skilled. Um, David Warner, you know, is, you know, one of the single greatest fieldsmen of his generation. No one chases harder. No one brings more energy. You know, few players do um, what David Warner does in the field. He adds value um, skill-wise in multiple areas with his bat. He's a terrific batsman. He's a terrific opening batsman, uh, as well as being, you know, one of the elite fielders in the game. Prototype if you want to look at the way he plays. But, you know, don't ask me to respect the stuff that's outside of that. 
Terrific batsman, terrific fielder. If kids want to look for an example of, you know, how to play the game of cricket in terms of a technical point of view, definitely, definitely have a look at some some film of how Dave Warner bats and how he fields. But uh, for me, leave out the rest of it. Anyway, that's my displeasure vented. And uh, on we go. No doubt Australia will, you know, this, this you know, poor Australian cricket team Phoenix will continue to rise from the ashes, uh, you know, of a fire that they lit for themselves um, by ball tampering over an extended period of time. I'm sure, you know, we'll get a wonderful continued uh, melodrama out of this and how wonderful it all is. But anyway, um, let's talk some, some South African domestic cricket. As I said, sat down... Um, with this game on a side screen. I was looking for some test cricket to watch, but no test cricket on at the minute. So instead settled for some first-class cricket and found the game between the Eastern Cape Inyanti. I really hope I'm saying that right, Inyanti. I'm pretty sure I am. Um, and the Mpumalanga Rhinos. Won't get like deep into it, but there's one part we will get deep into. Uh, so this is a, a Division 2 um, four-day match. So the South African, uh, for those of you who don't know, and I didn't know until I dug in and did some research, so the South African first-class cricket setup was had gone over to this franchise mode uh, probably, I think they said 17 years ago, where you then ha- you just had six first-class franchises. I can't remember what they're called. I think the Dolphins were one of them. Yeah, the Dolphins, the Warriors, um, and obviously four others. Um but that changed recently, where they've now gone to this 15 team. I believe it's 15. Yeah, 15 team setup. And it's, it's split into two divisions a division of eight, I believe, and a division of seven. And you've got division one, division two. Now, I'm trying to work out, it doesn't seem per, per uh, crick info, it doesn't seem like division two counts as first class cricket. When you look at the stats, um, of a batsman or a bowler's recent games, it just says if they've played in one of these Division Two games, it just says other, which I thought a bit disrespectful. If you get fair enough, have two divisions, but isn't it all first-class cricket? I don't know. Anyway, um, so this is a Division Two game between the Eastern Cape and Pumalanga, and Eastern Cape won convincingly. Uh, day one was interesting. Uh, they, there was 20 wickets taken on day one for a combined score of 276 runs. It was Eastern Cape that led after the first day by 32 runs. They got to 154 and then bowled out uh, Mpumalanga for 122. Now, day two, I don't know if the pitch dried out a little bit or the batsman dried out a little bit. Um, you know, maybe they just became a little more patient, but... Um, Eastern Cape really set about their work um, ruthlessly with the bat. And you had a terrific set of partnerships, I guess, uh, between Jason Neiman and you know everyone else in the team is how you would best describe it. Um, Neiman batted with... I'm just trying to bring this scorecard up so I can get it for you. Um, Neiman had partnerships with 
a number of of batsmen across the the innings as he carried his bat um, from start to finish, scoring 321 runs of 401 balls, 38 fours, five sixes. Um, you had in this game as well great comp- contributions from Nonalela Yika who scored 97 runs. And my apologies if these name pronunciations aren't right. I've actually been trying to seek out correct uh, pronunciations of the names. It's really hard to find. South African first-class cricket, domestic cricket. Um, You know, a lot of these guys, there's not a lot of highlights with commentary on them that would help me learn. But I'm a big believer that we should try, um, if we're going to talk about sports in a recorded setting and even just in general, have the courtesy to try and learn the names. Um, as I said, probably not going to get them all right, but I'm going to make an effort. And if anyone knows how they should be pronounced, I'm, you know, open to, to, to learning how to do it. Because it always, you know, annoys me when you've got someone, you know, like an Aussie commentator and they're like, oh, you know, you've got Bumanayi Kazanks, oh, let's just call him BX, shall we? No, maybe just fucking you know, contact the dude and, or, you know, the team and say, how does this, can we get a phonetic printout of, you know, name pronunciation, especially if you're being paid to commentate a game. It happens too often. Um, I don't know if it's the same in every country, but Australian broadcasting, um, I think about the AFL, is rife with mispronunciation of names and it's just unprofessional and at, at a certain point disrespectful in my opinion. Um, so yeah, Nonalela Yika actually had a great 97 runs off 150 balls, fell just short. Um, but that was kind of, you know, somewhat rightfully eclipsed by the face that Jason Neiman scored 321. Um, there were good little contributions and cameos right through. You had Jerome Bosser who scored 51 opening the batting with Neiman. Yika, who scored 97. Jerry Oncolo, who scored 16 runs off 28 balls. Um, Marco Murray, who scored 43 runs off 51. Um, Nyaka, who scored 30 off 23. And they rack up 637. 637 runs off 148.4 overs. Credit to Mpomalanga and their bowlers and batters who who kept at, at their bowlers and fielders who just did keep the energy up. It was a surprisingly um, vibrant effort in the field, even deep, deep into, um, you know, the, the day um, or the two days as it was. You had tireless bowling from guys like Bamani Zhenshi, Zhenshi, um, who score who took one wicket for 89 runs off his 22 overs he bowled tirelessly Caleb Vulich two wickets for 89 off 33 overs I thought he was the pick of the bowlers didn't take the most wickets but he stormed in um, hit a good length beat the bat with regularity uh, I thought he and Zhenshay, um both did a really good job of um, just 
continue to effort to impact the contest. Um, you had Malefe, who took two wickets off 15 overs. He copped a bit of tab. He went for 68 runs off his 15. Glenn Adams, he got carted. Glenn Adams, 12 overs for 98 runs. Did take a wicket. Alexander Cock, 150 runs off his uh, 29 overs. Three wickets. Uh, the spinner. He, he was a spinner. But the, the two pace bowlers, or there's three pace bowlers, but the, the pick of them, I thought, was Caleb Bullock, Bullich, who took the two wickets for 89 runs with eight maidens off his 33 overs. But the big thing in this game, which Eastern Cape ran away with in the end, they ended up dismissing uh, Mpumalanga for 185 runs. Yassar Cook top scored for them with 57 uh, off 56 down the order at about number seven, I would say, just eyeballing that. But really, the story of this game was was Jason Neiman. And this is a young guy who has played for South Africa, you know, at underage levels. Uh, he's played first-class cricket. I think when I looked, he played um, maybe a handful, maybe maybe 20 first-class games. Let me see. I've got his cricket. 24. So he'd played 24 first-class games prior to this uh, uh, first-class high score of 165. Only the 200s and 450s, um, averaging 28.85 with the bat. But, you know, his his four scores, they'd played one game before this against Limpopo. They'd, not sure what the result, I think that was a drawn match, but he scored 16 in the first innings, then 77 in the second. Against Mpumalanga, he scored zero, a duck, in the first innings off, I think, about 32 balls. So he battled for that duck. And then scored 321 not out. So, you know, in excess of 400 runs in four innings with one not out and a triple ton so far in the two games he's played. And, you know, what I loved about watching him bat and why I became so invested, I mean, one, it's a marathon effort. Um, you know, they don't have the time recorded, unfortunately, in these games. Well, they certainly don't on that website. I'll try and find and see if they've got the times that these guys batted for. They don't, sadly. But if you think about it, he was out there for, you know, nearly 150 overs. That's a huge, huge time of batting. You know, it's a day and a half of batting, solid batting, in the heat, in the wind. It was windy at times in this game. You could see it coming from left to right across the screen and, and sort of whipping at the players' shirts and pants at different times. So it's a marathon effort, and that, that's something that's always um, really special to witness. You know, he scored half of his team's runs, half of 637 runs. And it was his composure. One, some really elegant shots, very... Um, elegant player to watch. His ability to score all around the wicket too was another thing that I really liked to see. You know, he I mean maybe if someone's got a wagon wheel of his innings they might be able to say, well actually he scored, you know, seventy percent of his runs through the leg side. I don't know. I, I thought you know he played shots all around the wicket. I thought we saw him play pull shots, sweep shots, cuts, drives, you know, through on and off, uh, lofted shots, slogs. 
the lot. He sort of brought everything to it. And then in addition to that, his composure, it felt like he was stuck uh, in the 90s for a long time before his first 100. It felt like he was stuck there a long time. Maybe, and I could be exaggerating, it felt like he was on, you know, in the 90s for about 45 minutes. And he only played maybe one or two rash strokes or, you know, forcing shots when he was on about 98, trying to bring it up and, and you know, was probably lucky to survive on one, one or two deliveries. He played one rash shot shortly after he reached 100. But apart from that, he really really knuckled down. I mean, the, the next time I thought he sort of played some shots that he went, oh, that was a little bit, you know, you know, he's got to sort of settle back into his rhythm here. That was trying to force the issue too much was when he was on about 270 and they were trying to rack up more runs. Um, he was composed, super composed throughout. Um, his ability to leave balls uh, you know, I, I liked that, you know, even when you, you know, you're know you on 250 and seeing the ball, you know, like a watermelon, the ability to still discern, all right, that's a really good delivery. I'm not even going to play at that. I'm just going to leave it alone and I'm going to wait. You know, they're going to try and tempt me outside off, outside off, try and get me nicking away to the slips or the keeper. I'm just going to wait until he straightens up a bit and then I'm going to work you off the hip or work you off the toes um, and, and pick up easy runs through the leg side really good with that his energy levels and i guess you know being 23 uh, probably <laughs> probably helps but you know he was running as hard um for singles you know even as the non-striker so even when those runs weren't counting towards his total they were counting towards the team total he was running as hard at, you know day three as he was at the start of his innings at the start of day two you know he 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 was really, um, his energy didn't wane. His composure didn't wane. I thought it was a, a remarkable example of physical and emotional composure um, and um, performance. You know, um, and, and that, those were some of the things that really stood out to me. His patience um his shot selection his ability to play all around the wicket and and that composure and the ability to rein himself back in after a forcing shot and go all right let's get back to the let's get back to the process let's and and i guess above all else scoring 321 when you're 23 years old shows the hunger to bat and i watched an interview with him uh, video interview with him and you know he talked about just loving loving playing loving batting and he comes across as a remarkably like self-aware 23 year old sort of acknowledging I think at one point he'd stepped into captain Eastern Cape last season or a season previous and sort of acknowledged that uh, I'm, you know I was, I'm not really ready and in his words I believe it was saying I'm not really you know I'm not ready to lead men you know, I'm a young guy, I've still got, and it seemed to be that he was sort of saying, and I'm paraphrasing, but that he's still got things to work out. He's still working out who he is. And he made reference, you know, over the COVID lockdown times of, of taking that time to learn a bit about himself and think about that sort of thing. And, 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 and 
I'll tell you what, you know, his first two games of this season are a testament to the work he's done, even when he couldn't be out there batting, because there was, I thought, a mental and emotional surety about him. Um, obviously, the fitness, you know, I mean, that's not a question. Um, he was, as I said, running as hard, you know, on ball 350 as he was on ball one or two. But the hunger to score runs, you'll see some players, experienced players too, you know, players at all levels of cricket, where they, they might get to a 50 and feel content and they go out quickly after, or they might get to 100. You know, the, the player, they reach triple figures and then you kind of go, oh, their appetite has actually been sated by that innings. They're done. They're going to be out in another 15 to 20 runs. They might get out shortly after reaching 100. Maybe they'll push it to 150. But to be 23 and have the hunger and the fitness and the the mental um, stamina and fortitude to match your hunger, to not only want to keep batting for two days or you know a day and a half and make 300, so so to want to do that, and then to have the skill and the talents and 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 grounding to to make that occur. You know that's that's a pretty big deal at a young age, to know what you want to achieve on the sporting field, and then to be able to go out and do it. I mean that's a probably just as much a lesson for life too. You know, knowing what you want and then being able to to tool yourself up with the right skills and things in the kit to be able to bring that into reality. So I just thought it was a remarkable display um, of endurance and vision and hunger. You know, I think that's something we don't talk about enough with sport. You know, it's, oh, it's a remarkable, you know, feat of endurance to compete in something like, I don't know, the Tour de France or uh, to bat for a day and a half or whatever it might be. Tom Brady, you know, who's playing into his 21st or 22nd, whatever it is, season. Yes, it's a remarkable feat of physical and, and mental endurance. But do you know what the other thing is? What a, what a feat of vision. To imagine doing something as preposterous as, as scoring 320 runs. To envisage it and then to go and make it happen and do it. To say, I'm going to be the kind of batsman who's going to go out and bat all day. I'm just going to score runs and score runs and score runs. You know, that shows to me a pretty remarkable appetite for the game and for the craft. So hats off to Jason Neiman, and I look forward to watching his career unfold, however it should unfold. Um, but I, I can't help but feel that we're going to be seeing him in, you know, senior cricket South Africa colours within the next few years. And I'm, I think it's important. I was talking to Big Turnski about this. You know, you know, well, put, you know, should we, you know, would you be tempted to put him in the side and that sort of thing? And I said, having listened to the interviews with him, he seems very self-aware and very self-aware of the fact that he still has some solidifying of, of himself to do, to work out, you know, his own boundaries and strengths and weaknesses and and all that sort of thing. And I think this is the reason I think why in cricket players start at the why they break into the top level maybe later than in other sports. Why guys like Mike Hussey didn't, you know, debut until what, in his 30s? 
early 30s. Razzie Van Der Dusen has only, you know, broken onto the cricket South Africa scene in his early 30s. Because test cricket, long-form cricket, the real cricket for me, and, you know, T20 cricket's nice, one-day cricket, you know, fine. But real cricket is to me, is played over multiple days. Real cricket is played over multiple days, multiple sessions, and allows you multiple opportunities to to show what you've got. As a batsman, as a batter, you've got two opportunities across a four, uh, you know, a four innings game. As a bowler, you, you've got, you know, two innings to bowl in. There's multiple opportunities, and, and I think test cricket is called test cricket because it is a test. It is the ultimate examination of a cricket player's fortitude, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, and that's why I thought this was impressive. This is why this to me, 321 at age 23 in four-day cricket is more impressive to me than saying, oh, so, you know, this player smacked 120 off 30 balls in a T20 challenge. Fantastic. Okay, that's great. We know that if he hits the ball, you know, he can hit the ball, time the ball. Very good. But what about when it's, you know, day three and the pitch is wearing and you're tired because you've been batting and, you know, they get a new ball or you're facing a spinner with the old ball and you really want to get to lunch because you need some food in you and you can't give your wicket away. Or what about when you're stuck in the 90s for 45 minutes and you you can see the 100 there, it's just a few runs away. And you think, gosh, I could probably just cart this spinner, this off spinner over mid-wicket for a six and a six and I'll be done. Just advance down the wicket and hit him. All this temptation that occurs in the course of a test innings. And it's the same with batsmen and bowlers. You know, the temptation for a bowler, oh, I'm pretty fast. I reckon I could knock him over if I just put one on the stumps. You know, if I just bowl that one Yorker, I'll clean bowl him. And the reality is, if you keep putting it on the stumps, he's going to keep flicking you away through the leg side for four. So you've got to stay patient and keep plugging away just outside off, varying your length and, and, and your pace and that sort of thing, and occasionally darting one into his toes. It's the temptation in cricket to do take the easier out. Just swing at him. Just have a swing to bring up the sixes. Just sw- come on, Jason Neiman. Just just try and drive one of those those balls outside off through through cover for four. You do that two you know two or three times, and you've hit your hundred. It's the discipline to say no so that you can achieve what you want to achieve. So you can force the bowl. And this happens so often. Yes, some nice deliveries outside off that maybe you could have chanced your arm at and and smoked one through the covers. But you know, if he puts two or three of these outside off and I don't get tempted by them, he's probably going to start drifting back at my toes and my stumps. And I'm going to get a chance to just flick one through the leg side. If it gets really full, I can tickle one around the corner to find leg for four. And that's what happened. Battle of patience, battle of wits. And that's why test cricket is a true test. It's a true examination of a cricketer's character. Um, 
And it's why it's the only part of it's the only format of cricket called Test Cricket. Because it's the it's the final evaluation of a cricketer, in my opinion. And so I think it's alright to let Jason Neiman percolate in first class cricket for a bit. Maybe you take him on some, you know, some more tours of some sort. I don't know, but let him have the time to work on his craft because no one will try and exp- no no group of cricketers are going to be as quick and as ruthless to expose what his weaknesses are and exploit them than test cricket bowlers <laughs> and captains and fielders. That's why only the best play tests. You don't fake your way through a test career. You can't just slog your way through a test career. You have to be a pretty fucking good cricketer and a very sound person to to make your way through a test cricket career. So I, I think it's fine. Let He's 23. I don't care if he doesn't debut for the senior side till he's 27, 28, if that's what it takes. Let him pile up the runs and drive his way into that team. Don't rush it. Because if you rush it, you might crush it. As I said, it's it's a savage. And, and people will you know find this amusing with Test Cricket. Oh, Cricket, the gentleman's game. It's savage. Test Cricket is savage. It is a physical and psychological um, assault for the people involved. And I think there's a good reason sports psychology is, you know, <laughs> seems to do pretty well in cricket because there's a lot of mental games. There's a lot of mind games. I remember reading Adam Gilchrist's biography and him talking about trying to battle through, you know, his later seasons once teams had worked out to bowl to him, you know, in at his stumps from over the wicket, I think it was, you know, um, and guys like Freddie Flintoff, um, I can't remember, there's a bowler from India who got him out a bunch of times in one-day games that I watched. You know, and trying to work out how how am I going to respond to this? They have found this angle that just destroys me. You know, and, and at the end of all that, you know, it ends with him with a squash ball in his glove, belting Sri Lanka for 140-odd runs in a World Cup final. Um, it's watching the South Africans uh, in 2008 2009, the Tour of Australia realised that they could end Ponting. They they realised that he was the hand I was going, and I remember so many deliveries in that in that series. And I believe as Jacques Callas got him out, maybe at the MCG, clean bowled through the gate, and Ponting was almost falling over because the hand-eye coordination was going, and they worked out. As soon as they worked that out, they were all over him. Let Jason Neiman learn his craft and learn how to become that ruthless himself. Let him rack up tons in first-class cricket, and then, then you put him into the side. But for now, what an innings. What an innings um, by a great young player, and yeah, can't wait to follow the rest of his career. All right, that's going to do. Might have an NFL show for you 
I mean, it might already be out <laughs> if I get around to it. And if not, I'll have another episode for you soon. Hope you've enjoyed. Again, if you have enjoyed it, share it with a friend, share it with a family member. I appreciate social media shares as well. But, you know, word of mouth advertising uh, is my favorite kind of advertising because it's genuine and it's real and people, in my experience, are more likely to, to give something a go if you've recommended it yourself because they respect your judgment on your sports content. So give it a recommendation to a friend. Thanks so much, guys. Be well.